Good evening and welcome to Black Republican, Black Democrat. I'm your co-host and homeboy, Jamar Nelson. And I'm Pat Wynn Lawrence. Welcome, Pat. Welcome. Welcome. Today is the weekend of the 4th of July. Yes. Okay. And so, right. Happy 4th. Uh, happy 4th. Happy U.S. Yeah, I know. So I, 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 yeah, that's true, right? America birthday. Right? Or for some happy, uh, what is it, 4th uh, of July? 4th of July. <laughs> this is true. Today would be Saturday, uh, July the 7th. Yes. And so uh, hopefully you've uh, enjoyed your 4th of July, you and your family, and you guys uh, you have all your limbs from those firecrackers that uh, you and the kids are out uh, uh Lighting up and mm-hmm. uh, having a good time. So you know, uh, did you have a good time? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. yeah. You're 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 in. Uh... Well, no, I'm 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 here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I didn't. I'm here. I, I, yeah, I, I was actually I was actually going to go to New York, but my uh, so my aunt, um, her son um, uh, is actually he's retiring and he's actually building a retirement house in uh, Florida. And so every his birthday is on the tenth, and so usually it falls the weekend of the fourth is when he has a big birthday bash um, at his place, and um, so they end up canceling it, and oh, and it my. actually kind of worked out because I went to Chicago for my uncle's funeral yep. a few weeks ago, yeah, so so I spent quite a bit of money doing that, mm-hmm. so it kind of works out because I have another vacation coming up at the end of the month anyway, so I'm I'm looking forward to that, but um, but yes, I'm proud to be an American. You know, happy fourth, and you know it's always been a, a one of my favorite holidays. It's in the summer, time for barbecue and drinks, and you know, fun with friends and family, and um, just a really great time. But also to remember, you know, the nation that you're we're, that we're a part of, that our ancestors fought and worked so hard to, uh, you know, to be included in, and um, and that you know we're heirs of this, uh, you know, great nation as well as others. So. Um, so happy birthday, USA. Happy birthday, USA. I forget how old we are, um, but uh, great. Okay. <laughs> We're 242. 242? Two, yeah. Man. Because I was born in 1976, so that's how I always remember. Oh, okay. It's my age that, that like I'll be this year plus 200 years. That was like, okay. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. That's smart. I am the, mad at you. What is it? Bicentennial? Bicentennial. Yeah. yeah. No doubt about it. You know what, Pat, when... Um, uh, we uh, two weeks so two weeks ago already we had a a shooting yes. in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had several. Uh, yeah, but we had uh, a, a police involved shooting of a young man, um, Thurman Blevins. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, last sa- excuse me, two weeks ago Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, the young man allegedly uh, was walking through the alley. Mm-hmm. Or let me just say this, because I don't I don't know every detail, but allegedly the young man had a a weapon mm-hmm. and. Um, he uh, uh, was seen brandishing the weapon, mm-hmm. uh, heard shooting, firing the weapon. Mm-hmm. Police was called. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the police arrived on the scene, mm-hmm. and uh, he was tased at some point okay. um, where he then fled the police, mm-hmm. where whatever incidents happened in the alley, the young man was then shot and fired on in the alley where he was killed at. Okay. And so, uh, obviously, the community is devastated. Yeah. Um, it's another black uh, young man that's mm-hmm. been had his life lost at the hands of police officers. Yeah. I remember uh, seeing a lot, a lot on my Facebook feed with, like, Nakima and yes, others who were yeah. there live at the scene. Well, you and, and I were oh. having dinner when yeah. it happened. Yeah. And so we, you and I got exactly Oh, that's Facebook right, because your son called. That's yeah. right. Yes, yeah. that's yeah, right. My boy called and mm-hmm. asked because he was at the uh, scene of the crime. And the pet was right. My son called and was like, Dad, I, have you heard of this? I'm like, no, what happened? And so 
Then, but when you when you and I heard of it, it was I don't know. This was what after the show. So it was like yeah. nine thirty, ten o'clock at night or something, right? Yeah, this was. Yeah, it was about ten o'clock. About ten o'clock at night. So when you and I you and I heard about it, and so I ended up having having the chance to uh, drive over there, and four or five d- l- days later, the mm-hmm. crime scene was still uh, taped off. I've never seen oh, it. Okay. So. What I wanted to do is because uh, Mayor Fry has said that he mm-hmm. would he'd be uh, transparent throughout the process, mm-hmm. and he said that he would release the body cam footage. Sure. And so that has yet to be released yet. Okay. So I wanted to have on someone um, from the police department that may not be intricately involved in this particular case, mm-hmm. but that could answer a few questions for us. So okay. I asked uh, our uh, resident friend, uh, former retired Captain uh, Mike Martin, from the Minneapolis Police Department, that if he would come on and uh, answer some general questions for us. So welcome to the show, uh, Captain Martin. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's our yeah. pleasure. It's our pleasure. As I was saying, I I, I don't know if you were, were able to hear it. Um, and, and a small synopsis is what I understand was uh, Blevins, mm-hmm. uh, the police was called uh, because he was allegedly uh, brandishing a gun and was seen firing the gun in the air. Uh, but upon the police arrival, uh, he was sitting down at the curb or sitting down. When the police uh, arrived, he was immediately tased and uh, for some somehow uh, was able to get out of the tasers or, you know, get them off of him and flee. And in the process of fleeing, he flew, fleed into the alley, fled into the alley. And is that's where the incident happened and that's where his loss of life happened. So am I wrong on any of those points? Well, I, I don't know the specifics um, of what occurred, and I think we've heard um, different narratives um, coming from, you know, people who I'm not sure anyone really knows <laughs> except the officers and and um, those that were present, but um, I think basically it's undisputed that there were calls to 911 and that the officers um, arrived and believed that he had fired shots. And at some point they confronted him and he fled and they chased him into the alley and um, eventually shot him. Wow. Mm. So, and, it, and I can tell you right now that no officer uh, comes to work wanting to shoot someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the most um, difficult things an officer ever has to do. Mm. And um, even firing their gun, whether or not they hit someone or kill someone, um, is extremely um, traumatic for an officer. Um, and so um, one way or the other, they obviously felt like they needed to shoot him to stop a threat. And I think once the body camera footage comes out, I think we'll all understand a little more. Do you think uh, Mayor Fry, uh, so far in this investigation, is being transparent or is uh, the mayor impeding the uh, investigation um, that's going on? Uh, you know, how's that happening? What's going on? What do you think? Well, I think the, the bottom line is ever since we abdicated our responsibility for investigating um, officer-involved shootings, we no longer have control over them. Um, And so, quite frankly, um, the mayor has no control over the investigation. Mm. 
what the BCA does or what's released and what's not released. Um, that's controlled by the BCA, which is part of the Department of Public Safety. Um, and, and I would argue that it's one of the reasons why we shouldn't be farming out these officer involved shootings. Um, I understand that people believe that officers will cover up for each other um, and that the appearance um, of impropriety is there. But I think um, we lose control and we lose the ability to be transparent and mm-hmm. to release things like body camera footage when we give it to an outside agency. Um, what I'd rather see is it be handled, but strictly overseen by, for example, the Internal Affairs Unit or, um, you know, a, a team that's put together for critical incidents like that. Well, okay. so the, 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 but do you agree that there is a, um, an erosion of the relationship that exists between the uh, minority communities and mm-hmm. uh, the Minneapolis Police Department? Oh, absolutely. What do you absolutely. think? What do you think we could do to help start bridging the gaps between the two? I, I think the biggest um, issue is people. As we let people speak on our behalf, whether it's the police, <laughs> whether it's the community, whether mm-hmm. it's you know uh, activists, um, you name it. We let people speak on our behalf that really don't have an interest in solving the problem. Um, their interest is in their own agendas. And, and I think we need to, the police, um, the officers, and the community, the people that live in the community need to sit down and, and spend time together. But I'm not talking about the chief and the head of the Urban League and, the, and that. I'm talking mm-hmm. about actual <laughs> officers and mm-hmm. sergeants and people that live in the community and people that own businesses and, mm-hmm. you know, and sitting down and talking and getting to know each other and communicating and understanding where each other comes from. I, I can tell you from having, you know, I ran the Northside precinct for five years as an inspector. And I can tell you that, you know, I, I learned a lot about why people, think the way they do and why they don't trust the police and the historical issues um, between the police and the mm-hmm. community and why it's so important that we build those relationships. All right. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. In closing, um, do you think that, do you think the mayor was out of line um, or do you think that he is trying to be transparent during this investigation? Um, and, do you th- how long do you foresee this uh, playing out? I, I think the mayor, um, if he had control over the body camera footage, he, he would be able to release it. But by saying that he would release it and then listing the conditions, he was saying, look, I'm the good guy. <laughs> I want to be transparent. But these other people... You know, the BCA, they're the bad guys mm-hmm. and aren't letting us do it. And, and it's, you know, I think it's grandstanding. Um, I don't think it helps transparency. I think right. transparency is saying, look, we don't control that. I would love for it to come out because I have a lot of answers. But I can't do that because 
you can't have the body camera footage out there before you interview relevant witnesses. And they may not even know who all the witnesses are yet. Um, and before you interview the officers and whatnot, because it taints the process. Mm. And when we do that, um, it, um, it, then it, people who then come forward and say, you know what, I saw part of this and here's what happened. Um, the attorneys in court can say, look, that's, they saw it on the video. That's why they came forward. Okay. Or they didn't see it on the video, but they're filling in the gaps with their testimony. And that's why you can't do that. Um, the sad part is that the video will come out mm-hmm. at some point, And there's still going to be unanswered questions. And unfortunately, um, people who trust and like the police are, mm-hmm. are going to read into that what they want. And people who don't mm-hmm. <laughs> are going to read into it. And the reality is that no one's going to be served well by it. Okay. Right, right. So will you um, will you come back, will you check in with us uh, throughout the duration of this uh, investigation and be, like I said, our resident uh, police officer will need some, you know, to rely on you for different answers. So will you uh, join us from time to time to help us? Absolutely. Right. Whenever you want, you call me. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, this is retired Captain Mike Martin of the Minneapolis Police Department. I want to thank you for uh, your time today, and uh, we'll be chatting with you throughout the duration of this uh, investigation. Thank you. Tell the wife thank you for uh, still letting us steal you. Yeah. Away for a while. <laughs> Appreciate that very All much. Right. Wow. So we got more on the other side of the break. We got Sam Cook. Yes. Not the not the singer. Yeah, not we, the singer. We ain't reviving him from the dead. <laughs> but we got more on the other side of the break. This is Jamar Nelson. This is Pat Wynn Lawrence. This is Black Republican, Black Democrat on a beautiful Fourth of July weekend. Welcome back to Black Republican Black Democrat because we're going to have a funky good time <laughs> in here this evening. Watch out now. I'm Jamar Nelson. I'm Pat Wynn Lawrence. And this is the 4th of July holiday weekend with you guys. We're spending it. Happy yes. 4th of July weekend, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed yourself yep. over the uh, holiday weekend. Lots of barbecue. And is it weird that it was on a Wednesday? Yeah, it is. I ended I up like taking that. off two days. I took off Thursday and Friday but because I was going to go away. But, oh, so then you but still, so it was kind of nice. Yeah. yeah, you got yeah. the time off. Yeah. You get to do whatever you want to do. Nothing. Yeah. And sometimes doing nothing is fantastic, right? Mm, I would rather go somewhere. Because <laughs> well, you, know, you are. Like when me and Pat went like, out. let's go. Pat and I have been going out every weekend. Well, I, I won't say every weekend, but yeah. we go out for, weekends, uh, yeah. Yeah, for lunch or for dinner. And I, I'm talking, we usually get dinner done with dinner by 1030. And then this dude was like, well, I'm going to go get dressed. I'm going out dancing. Yeah, oh, exactly. I'm like, I'm going out. Oh, please. Yeah. Let's bring uh, our, our Sam Cook. So we've got Sam Cook on the line. Sam, are you there? Hey, Sam, how are you? Oh. Sam? Technology, I tell you. Uh-oh. Let's yes, see. hello, I'm here. Oh, okay, man. okay. Technology. You got one we of those Obama phones? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sir. <laughs> he has an Obama phone. <laughs> American made. <laughs> well, welcome to Black Republican, Black Democrat. I'm Jamar Nelson. It's a pleasure to have you on with us. Well, thank you very much, sir. I enjoy your show. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Now, let's get right into it, man. We've had, uh, last week we had on a U.S. Senate candidate, uh, Richard Painter. Yep. And we talk about, on this show, obviously, we talk about uh, black inequality mm-hmm. because it's huge. And so... 
um, when we, an advocate like yourself, an activist, excuse me, like yourself, it, 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 as you, uh, inequality is big, um, and it's something that you, I know you champion. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Well, you know, life is short, and um, you know, making this world a better place for the next three generations seems to be what I have left on my agenda to do. Uh, you know, I've I've, uh, I've been around doing this work for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the blessing to um, do public policy work for the Minneapolis uh, Urban League okay. uh, back in the early 90s. And it really didn't take long to figure out that we have a lot of disparities, a lot of inequities mm-hmm. all throughout our community, all across the community. Mm-hmm. And there is no real systematic process or plan like the Marshall Plan, yep. to actually create gains in the health of the community and the education of the community, creating businesses and jobs in the community and keeping our young people busy and out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've kind of honed in on, and, and I've been championing that fight for a long time um, until we get it done. Well, you know, so Sam, so you're uh, you're a local guy, right? You're from. Are you were you born in Minnesota? Are you here? Like, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of um, what kind of led you in this. Because you have a plan, which we're going right. to get to. You have a plan to put in action. But what kind of led you in, on that path? Well, actually, I was born by the river, uh, the Mississippi <laughs> River. <laughs> Had a been in a little tent back in 1964. Okay, but was, um, was, was, was I, it was General Hospital then, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. And uh, so I, I actually was one of the first rounds of cross-cultural adoptions out to Lake Elmo, Minnesota, out in this east suburb, first ring suburb. Well, okay, wait a minute, oh. wait a minute, wait a minute. Explain what you mean, as Luke, uh, as Ricky would say, explain what you mean. Well, there was um, back in the early '60s, um, there was a bill called the um, the African American Heritage Act that okay. required African Americans foster children to go into their immediate families, and if they couldn't find the immediate family, then they had to go into an African-American family. Mm-hmm. This law was on the books probably till the mid-'80s, mm-hmm. but uh, Hennepin County, in their wisdom, chose not to follow that law and began to um, send African-American kids into white families. Mm. Um, and uh, I was one of those kids. Uh, oh, wow. And so I grew up out in the suburbs, grew up in a different environment mm-hmm. than many of my brothers and sisters. Um, so I looked at life, and I continue to look at life a little different than most of my fellow Americans. And, you know, in always trying to be the best and do right and do good things, mm-hmm. those those good qualities that are American qualities that, that I found out in the suburbs, you know, happen in the African-American community, but there's a lot of roadblocks that, that block the ability for African-Americans to really succeed uh, in this, this uh, community that we live in. So after I graduated from high school, I went out of my way to kind of learn uh, my African-American history, went to the Million Man March, was blessed to meet Professor Mahmoud el Oh, I, wow. And began to learn and understand the African-American struggle, mm-hmm. uh, going back to 1619. Mm-hmm. So well, I educated myself <laughs> on both sides of, of our culture mm-hmm. here in Minnesota mm-hmm. and truly believe that the path that I am pushing forward here is the American path to really um, create a, a uh, correction 
in uh, the lives of African-Americans across the state of Minnesota. So, Sam, so this is real interesting because Jamar and I, we were talking, uh, it was like a couple of weeks ago, we were, uh, remember when we were at um, J.D. Hoyt's? And we were, and I mentioned, and I brought up, I was like, I wonder what it's like to have grown up in like uh, rural Minnesota. Like, you know, there's yeah. like African American kids that grow up there. And we were having this conversation about what is it like to, uh, you know, kind of have that upbringing because you're like in a totally white environment. And in your particular case, uh, because in many cases, it's usually biracial kids that are out there, um, you know, in rural Minnesota. And so they kind of fit in in that in that sense. But as an African-American, what was it like growing up in, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, suburban uh, Minnesota. Um, I've never been. What is it like Elmo? I think you right. said. Lake yeah, Elmo, but, North yeah. St. Paul, Oakdale. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Yeah. Well, you know, I tell people when I left Lake Elmo, the black population went down a hundred percent. Oh wow! But that that really wasn't true. Oh, fact well. of the matter. Fact of the matter is that Washington County really began the process, and there were a few African Americans out there. Mm-hmm. But you know, I grew up with. 14 guys that all lived down the street. So we were mates since we were in kindergarten all the way through high school. We're still mates today. So I've mm-hmm. created many good, strong uh, friendships mm-hmm. out there. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of issues growing up, mm-hmm. you know, um, being that I was uh, one of the only African-Americans out there. And so it, it didn't take long to get into quite a bit of fisticuffs growing up, mm. but I played football and wrestled, and I was pretty good at it. So, um, And I had a lot of friends that were always there to have my back. So the, the, the growing up there was I enjoyed a lot of white privilege that a lot of white folks enjoy out in the suburbs, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Turn their heads to things. They pretend they don't see things. you talking to mm-hmm. instead of arrested. Um, you know, it's a different upbringing than uh, than what goes on, you know, here in the city. Uh, so, you know, I have no regrets. It was what it was. It is what it is. I still have many friends out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go back out there often. But, uh, you know, I've, I've created many, many more friends, too. And I, I think that's why I push and fight as hard for what used to be called the Minnesota-American Reconciliation Partnership, because, you know, I think there's a big burden on many of my white friends across the state of Minnesota that politically can be relieved through uh, enacting legislation. You know, our our American race problems here uh, in America are human problems and they're solvable problems. And they're all solvable problems. Uh, throughout our political process that our forefathers so creatively created that can be done any year that a session is in session, whether it be locally or nationally. No doubt. So I continue to stay focused on on what I believe will um, bring relief to my white brothers and sisters and bring a, a, um, uh, atonement and some autonomy for African Americans to really play a, a role in the the, the rejuvenation of this country and and playing a role in doing that in a significant manner that could be done very simply. Well, let's get more into your plan on the other side of the break uh, of what you got in store for us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking on the phone with Sam Cook, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Minneapolis native and activist. I'm Jamar Nelson. I'm Pat Lawrence. We'll be back with more Black Republican, Black Democrat on Twin Cities News Talk and your iHeartRadio.
Oh, welcome back to Black Republican, Black Democrat. I'm your co-host, Jamar Nelson. And I'm Patwin Lawrence. Oh, welcome back. Welcome. Welcome to see you. I don't know. I ain't gonna ask you who, the, who that is, no. but that's my song there. Yeah, it's a real you, mother you always choose them, so you, no, of course you know who they are. I had no hand in that. That was just our great producer. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's Johnny Guitar Watson. Okay. Oh, man. Actually, no, wait a minute. Yeah, see? it is, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm tripping. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. A real mother for you. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning us in. Uh, this is a holiday special uh, by Black Republican and Black Democrat. And on here we have an advocate, uh, an activist. I keep saying advocate, an activist, uh, Sam Cook. Sam. Yes, sir. Let's talk about your plan, man. You are the you calling it the Marshall Plan, or what's it? Yeah, we need a Marshall Plan. So, what's your plan entail? How's it going to affect us? How does it help us? You know, to 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 get to the root of any problem, um, you really have to have a plan. And first, you have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And I would say that that's Minnesota's problem. You know, my fellow political um, uh, folks in the political arena from the governor Dayton on down. Um, but this bill that, uh, that the vision came to me, like I said, after working for the Urban League and, and, and tr- trying to tackle trauma, mental health issues, trying to deal with the eighth grade test, basic test scores, suspension rates, you know, and, and trying to make sure there's quality, high-paying jobs for community folk and then keeping young people busy, jumping around from the four sectors that we've created what used to be called the Minnesota American Reconciliation Partnership. Now, this, this bill was attempted to tag on every Viking Stadium bill going back to 1995. Um, I used to work with the Minnesota Vikings, so trying to get this bill funded and getting the attention of the Republican and Democratic leadership at the House and Senate has something that's been going on in this state for a long time. Unfortunately, the leadership wasn't there from the right or the left. Um, my feelings after doing this as long as I've been doing it, the, the, the reason we don't have the, the leadership from the left is because they really, really, really enjoy spending our collective tax dollars by themselves. And they they make money off of delivering resources to our community. Reconciliation would have changed that. Right. And for my friends on the right, you know, their opposition to this bill, as I sit here today, quite frankly, is that they also profit off black and brown oppression through the criminal uh, uh, industrial complex, um, their investments in, in, in prison systems nationally, and, and they don't seem to want to do the right thing either. They, they love the power and the control, and they're not willing to sh- power share with black Americans, which is what's required, which is called for in this bill. Autonomy for African Americans, health professionals to sit around the health committees in northern Minnesota and southern Minnesota here in the metro, mm-hmm. African American autonomy to for educators to sit on the education uh, committees in the north and the south and here in the metro and on down through this bill. I call them community sectors, the health of the community, the education of the community, economic development within the community, and, of course, public safety and keeping young people busy. And I don't need to share with you the the shootings and murders that go on in north and south Minneapolis and Mm -hmm. in St. Paul. 
that just don't go on in Egan. They don't go on in uh, in, in North St. Paul. They don't mm-hmm. go on week in and week out like they do in the inner city. Mm-hmm. So this bill, as I keep saying, used to be called the Minnesota American Reconciliation Partnership. Mm-hmm. Some of the key political operatives on the left, Buck Humphrey, told me he didn't like the name of the bill. And he said, we need to find something that Minnesotans can get around. And my political operative on the right, uh, Mr. Uh, Greg Pepin, he didn't like the name of the bill either. So I've, I've, I've extended an invite for both, either one of them to give me a new name for the bill, which, of course, hasn't happened yet. So Of course not. Given that we're almost at training camp in the National Football League, we're renaming this bill, and I'll break that news here with you guys here tonight. We're going to rebrand and rename this bill the National Football League Injustice Correction Engagement Act. Now, why are you naming it that? Mm -hmm. Why do you? Because, I mean, a lot of Republicans. First of all, let me quickly. What party do you belong to, if you don't mind? Well, good question. Uh, I belong to both, actually. Back in the 90s, I ran for state representative as a Republican. I was in the Republican Party for six years. And then I switched over to the Democratic Party, where 80% of my neighbors are Democratic, and it, I was able to get much more completed uh, working throughout that party. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a, like in the faith, I'm non-denominational, okay. and I, you know, I split my tickets when I vote. Mm-hmm. But I'm an issue guy. Okay. I like to push issues. I like to have them come to the floor, have them get you know uh, heard, and create issues that cross both party lines. Mm-hmm. So then, if, if okay, in that case, then, uh, well, Republicans feel again that it's funny you name it that Republicans feel that uh, things like affirmative action. Uh, inequality is, you know, almost non-existent. They don't believe it exists. They, you know, they tell a lot of black folks to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Of course, they had they own both pairs of boots, by the way. <laughs> but uh, that so so to me, what you're saying, well, though, that's an unfair characterization. But well, I mean, we don't. Well, no, the reason why most, uh, well, particularly conservatives, but on the Republican side, that they're against affirmative action is because they don't believe in like identity politics, and you should, and that they're showing that there should be equality of opportunity, not equality. You know, or, or in terms of outcome. So it's so when you talk about affirmative action, like I am not for affirmative action in terms of race base. Um, I, I don't think that that's beneficial or helpful. I am for affirmative action if it was lineage based, like it should just be for descendants of, you know, enslaved Africans in the U.S. because that's what it was designed for. So, you know, so there are some differences there. But uh, but tell us, Sam, a little bit more about how your plan, you know, why you named it, you know, that and then what do you want to achieve? Right. Well, first, first of all, um, this this uh, this bill are targeted for sixty percent of African Americans in either one of the sectors. We realize there's going to be a Latino in there. There's going to be some white kids in there. There might be some Hmong kids in there. So it's not a hundred percent African Americans. Mm-hmm. It does it does work and include African immigrants as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's business ventures that can be done internationally uh, throughout that economic development arm of this bill. But to your question of why we changed it, well, we all know Colin took the knee two years ago with, uh, in, in an effort to uh, bring attention to uh, the, the unarmed African-American men being shot across this country, including here in Minnesota. Well, that issue is, is still unsettled. Even though the NFL has created a new rule um, that if players want to kneel, they can just stay in the locker room, uh, the NFL 
uh, has 80% of their players are African American, and and they don't have a solution for their problem. Um, and our president trying to um, uh, give uh, players, friends, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, when they get out of jail, free card, um, is not a solution to that problem. And even individual players who may point a direction for a short-term fix is not a solution to that problem. And because of the uh, the awareness that our own Minnesota Vikings uh, organization has with respect to this effort and simply choose to sit on their hands and do nothing, um, you know, I challenge Lester Bagley and my friends out at the Vikings to continue to relook at this, and the changing of this name will get them to relook at this uh, effort for not only them, but, but for the state of Minnesota. And this bill can be executed in Illinois. It could be done in Maryland. It could be done in Georgia. It could be done at any one of our 50 states. Uh, it's a statewide initiative. Uh, that works up in Duluth as well as it works down in Rochester and uh, Mankato. Um, we named the bill the National Football League's Injustice Correction Engagement Act to engage those political leaders who are running for governor, who are running for Congress, who are running for Senate, to take a stand. A lot of them side-ducked it off and continue to side-duck it. But at the end of the day... Uh, this issue and issues for our country to truly make America great is not a real difficult problem. It's the, the ruling class, i.e., the Republicans and the Democrats, mm-hmm. just need to trust African Americans. We have nonprofit institutions that do annual audits that that serve the community well. This is just a just like the uh, Department of Homeland Security was established after 9/11. It's now the third, probably the third biggest uh, department in the government. Mm-hmm. This is a piece of public policy that needs to be established and executed, and give African Americans autonomy and some power control over where these resources go that are our collective tax dollars. Let's talk about it more on the other side of the break, because I think that the problem will be not Democrats, but the problem is going to be Republicans and people that are... No, I think he has an opportunity with the Republicans, especially with Trump. Let's see. Let's see who takes it seriously. So let's talk about it more on the other side of the break. This is Black Republican. That's Sam Cooke. I'm Jamar Nelson. That's Pat Lawrence. This is Black Republican, Black Democrat on your Twin Cities News Talk and iHeartRadio. Welcome back, Black Republican, Black Democrat. I'm telling you, we got the best producer in we town. Do. We really do. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Jamar Nelson. I'm Patwin Lawrence. And our guest is Sam Cook, a uh, not the musician. Not not the musician. That's right. No, we didn't. We didn't revive we him. Have those powers. No, I wish. <laughs> all right. Um, he's a community activist. Well, Sam, I mean, am I just? I want to do you justice, bro. So, how am I? Just, how should we describe you? Well, first of all, Sam Cook's spirit is with us. That's right. That's right. He's yeah. watching us somewhere. He yep. left this earth a little too early before. Way day. too early. Way too early. So, Way too early. Uh, you know, I learned throughout my uh, African to Ashe to always keep the elders in the present. That's right. That's and right. after my B-96 launch and uh, having bought a $20 million piece of crap tower out in Carver County, 
Wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you, you, you dropped the tidbits. That, exactly. <laughs> you can't drop these little tidbits. You helped launch uh, the, the B96 or what? Yeah, I founded B96 back in 2000. That was a 10-year American entrepreneurial nightmare for me. Oh. So, but it, but it, uh, uh, that's a whole other show, gentlemen. Okay, yeah. we, we're definitely going to have you on to talk about that. That's, that's unique. So, yeah. um, how do you want to move this plan forward? Like, yeah. how, do, how do you think you're going to get traction in terms of getting engagement, like from you know, policymakers, but as well as from the community? Well, you know, Governor Plenty never was on board with this issue, but he's back running for office. So our goal here um, in this election season is mm-hmm. to put it in front of the governor candidate okay. and, get, and get them to commit to this for their first four years. Year one, to invest in the administrative budgets, to set up the infrastructure mm-hmm. across the state, to create the committees to circle up health professionals, to circle up educators, to circle up entrepreneurs, so that folks can really work uh, strategically. Mm -hmm. This bill actually goes 45 years into the future. It encompasses three generations. That's good. With a generation being 15 years. Because, you know, 60% of African Americans are are doing all right in this American economy and in this country of ours. But there's not due to Trump. Mm. About forty percent that are struggling, we're, and we need to cut we're not that doing well. Down but, to twenty percent. But, but Sam, we're not. But we're not. African Americans aren't doing well. We're we're actually regressing. Where by twenty fifty, we're going to have zero wealth. Well, um, that, that's true. That is true because we are still the second worst state for African Americans to live in. Mm-hmm. I guess I speak. I speak nationally. Oh, okay. Um, well, no. I mean, well, I, I'm talking nationally. I mean, because like the average, the middle black family only has uh, wealth of uh, fourteen hundred dollars, and that includes the family car. You take the family car out, it goes down to you know a little less than two thousand dollars, and so and where the average white family, the middle white family, has one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So correct. we're yeah. <laughs> so I guess my point is is that there's lots of work to be done. And, yes. Uh, yes, I agree. Uh, no matter how you look at this question mm-hmm. of, of uh, oppression yeah. and and um, and and disparities mm-hmm. and equity, yeah. basically what this bill is is that we you know we have stop signs, we have stop lights, we have laws that hold us accountable to the laws of this state and of yes. this land. The legislature has no policy, no law to uh, help them help themselves. To create equity amongst right. the total Minnesotans, so what? And, and they just love to spend money, both the right and the left. So what this does is simply chips off a little piece mm-hmm. year in, biannually, every mm-hmm. two years, to bring up the, the worst parts, the hardest parts, the most difficult areas in our state, in our cities. And when you can bring the bottom up, everybody comes up. Mm-hmm. Well. But, and they just need to to do this at some point in time, and whether it happened in 1967 after the uh, civil rights bills, it should have mm-hmm. happened, or whether it happens in 2035, the impact that it'll have on society will be the same. Mm-hmm. It'll be significant, and it'll be pioneering. And it'll be just right. Well, you know, working with the uh, uh, well, this is the time to be doing it because when people are up for election, especially with the uh, Democrats and the Republicans, because the Republicans want to hold power, Democrats want to take power. What we need to do in terms of the African American community, we need to be with those elected officials in, in negotiating 
things that we need to have done in the community. And, you know, I think you should also be targeting, you know, in terms of the, the state legislatures, because, you know, billions of dollars are being, you know, allocated, you know, every session. And in terms of the African-American community, we get very little of that money. We might get, you know, maybe a couple million, maybe at right, that. Right, and right, so we should, if you think about in terms of how much taxes we pay and our numbers, we should be getting like about a billion dollars or more um, every session. And could you just imagine if we had a billion dollars going into our businesses, you know, our nonprofits, our groups, you know, and I should say in terms of nonprofits, our black nonprofits, the ones that are black owned, because usually nonprofits that are servicing the black community typically are white owned, the ones that get that funding. And so facilitating those connections. And I also like that you're thinking generationally and you're thinking, uh, being forward thinking, thinking about the future, because that's something we typically don't do. And that's what other communities do. And that's how they get that leg up. And they're thinking three, four, five, six steps down the road instead of us just thinking one, if that. So well, that's needed. We spend upwards of $24 billion biannually, you know, mm-hmm. to chip off $60 million uh, towards this effort to strengthen our inner cities and, and to give, uh, give a community hope mm-hmm. where there is no hope today, yeah. uh, other than hoping not to get shot mm-hmm. when you're driving down the wrong street at the wrong time, mm-hmm. thinking you look like somebody or you don't. Yeah. I mean, it, it, life's too short. Mm-hmm. America's better than this. Yes. Minnesotans are better than this. Yeah. Word, word. And all those who know that we've made contact over the 20 years that I've been pushing this, I hope you're feeling bad, and I hope you continue to feel bad until you do the right thing. Good. <laughs> watching. I'm watching. Now you're watching. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what time brings us moving forward. No doubt about it. And, and the few minutes that we have here with you, uh, Sam, um, what made you want to do that? I mean, I. I understand, but I mean, what made you want to do this? Because it's not, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. It's really, if you really want Americans to succeed, if you want black and brown people to be productive, tech paying citizens with strong nuclear families, mm-hmm. you do this. You don't do all the things you've been doing with 60 years of, of welfare to keep the black male out of the family, mm-hmm. the family destructive tactics that you've continued to employ on our communities. These, these, as you're doing right now to the Latino families, are unacceptable, and they need to end. And, and there's nothing wrong in this world of white supremacy, which we live under, to always want to be the best and work towards the best. Mm-hmm. But you cannot block and hinder other people's progress to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Absolutely. And that's what's going on with the status quo today. No that's doubt absolutely. about it. And this is what needs to be said, and I'm yes. glad that uh, 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 a brilliant black man is going around articulating it, especially honing in on um, and uh, of engaging white people, and I think that that's yeah. so important. So where can people find out more information about you and about the Marshall Plan that you're trying to enact? Well, they can always catch me on Facebook. You know, I stay uh, kind of quiet and private these days. I've, uh, I've walked away uh, from my, my tenure duties at the Bathany Community Center, and I've retired from the Minnesota Vikings. So this is really the only political thing I do these days. Uh, but you can always contact me on Facebook. I friend most folks, um, and you're more than willing to give out my phone number at 612-719-0224. Uh, send me a text um, or a call. I'd be happy to sit down and discuss this with you. Um, you know, in closing here, I had a meeting with uh, the Moose 
Carl Eller Hall of Famer. Okay. You know, when the National Anthem in 1962 came into the NFL, it was Bud Grant, Carl Eller, and the Minnesota Vikings who were the first NFL team to stand across that line with their helmets under their armpits at attention for the National Anthem. When all the other teams across the field were wondering, what the heck are they doing? Minnesotans lead. That's what we That's do. That's right. We've led we have a great problem in yes. America, and we're going to fix it here in Minnesota first. I learned right, a lot about Minnesota. Go. Yeah, Sam, thank you, man. Thank you, we got to come back. Appreciate you having us today, man. Thanks a lot, Sam. Ladies and gentlemen, this I've been, I'm Jamar Nelson. I'm Pat Lawrence. Hope you enjoyed this 4th of July weekend. Make sure you turn to the Post Show Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Bye. Bye.